morning, and so good to be able to uh, open up God's Word and be assured uh, of His presence, be assured of His grace, uh, be assured that He is the one that is in control of all things. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. We've made it back to Romans, and we've made it back to Romans 8, and I am so excited about this passage. This is probably one of the more well-known passages in uh, the letter to the Romans, and it has comforted so many believers over the generations. I'm looking forward to, to reading this and meditating on this together. When you're there, say I'm there. All right, Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 28. And you know what? Let's let's begin a little bit earlier. Let's begin in verse 26. And I just want to give us a little bit of a context here. Verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of uh, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that's a rather presumptuous statement, isn't it? We know. So there's something, at least for Paul, that, that he goes, all of us believers get this. So if we don't get this, first off, don't, don't feel left out <laughs> or anything. Um, we'll, we'll hopefully, by the end of this, uh, this morning, you will know this. Uh, but, but, but he says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined He also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I know, I'm feeling it too. I'm I'm glad glad someone is feeling it here. I don't know who it was, because y'all are wearing masks, but but somebody is feeling this too. We're, let's pray and let's ask the Lord to help us to grasp this. This is one of the most glorious truths that you could hear in the scriptures, and it is so incredibly relevant and practical. And so let's pray that God would help us to see what he sees, so that we may worship him as well. So many others have worshipped him across the generations. Let's pray. So Lord, we need your help this morning. Um, Perhaps there are some who are here this morning that just aren't feeling this. 
They hear Paul, they, they get the words, they understand what a noun is, what a verb is, they understand pronouns and prepositions, adjectives and adverbs, they get this, they know what these words mean, but they're just not feeling it. They look at their lives and they don't see what Paul sees. Help us, Lord, to see. Give us the eyes to see. Give us hearts to embrace this truth as our own. And Lord, I pray that we would live joyfully, gladly in the reality of these words for what you reveal of yourself to us in here absolutely astonishing. Thank you for your deep love that goes far beyond words. Lord, I pray that we would live in this. And if there is anyone that's here that does not believe in Jesus as their Savior, I pray that by your grace, Lord, they would see that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. And that their heart's desire would be that they too would be found in him with a righteousness not of their own, but one that has been given to them from Christ. That they, that they would be not left out in the cold, but that they would be in your house and a part of your family as an adopted son or daughter. That they would no longer be living under the curse of eternal death, but that they could enjoy eternal life in Christ and in the fellowship of the Trinity. Lord, we ask big things because you're a big God. And we know, Lord, that you can just say, let there be light and there will be light. So, Lord, I pray that you would so move, that, that those who are far away would be brought near, those who are outside would be brought inside, those who are lost would be found. May it be true of all of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Look, look at those words again in verse 28. All things. If you've got a, a device, like I've got my tablet, you, you might want to highlight those words, all things. If you've got a paper Bible, um, because you're, you know, spiritual, uh, you know, take a pen and, and, and circle all things in there. All things. All things. All things work together for good. You know, there's a way to misunderstand this, this sentence. We've heard it. Those of us who, who have grown up in the church, those of us who love Romans, we, we, we almost, it's almost like Christmas, right? You're anticipating when you get to, the, to this verse where you can hear it again. All things, all things work together for good. And you go, yeah, all things work together for good. But there are ways to misunderstand this promise. There are ways that, to hear it that aren't the way that Paul is saying it. And if you mishear it and misunderstand it, you will fail to embrace the depths of, of, of truth and reality that are uh, spoken of here that, that could sustain you through some of the hardest seasons that you could ever go through. You know, the cynical hears this and, and immediately just kind of shrugs, right? Just scoffs. Pfft. Yeah, right. All things. I mean, let's be honest. 
all things aren't good. And so therefore, all things can't work together for good. You, you know the cynic, right? And he's got a point. I mean, you hear, so you mean to tell me that, that the person whose mind is wasting away with, with dementia or Alzheimer's in the nursing home, you mean to tell me that's good? You mean to tell me it's good when, when the doctor gives the, the, the word to the family that there's nothing more they can do with the, the person bedridden in the, in the hospital room, that, that the cancer is spreading, it's too aggressive, and, and their body is wasting away to nothing? You mean to tell me that's good? You mean to tell me that it's good for, for the, the wife you know, as she's there on the couch in her living room, screaming and crying for her husband not to pick up his, his bags and things and leave for another woman? You mean to tell me it's good for, for a guy standing in the office hearing that not only is he going to be laid off, but there won't be any severance? He's just kicked out in the cold like that? Good? The cynic says, all things are obviously not good, and therefore, all things surely won't work together for good. You know, kind of the Murphy's Law guy, right? You know, anything, that, anything bad that could possibly happen most likely will. You know, the glass, who cares if it's half full or if it's half empty? You know, you, as soon as you pick it up, you're going to trip on something, and the glass is going to shatter. So who cares, right? That's the cynic. The cynic reads this and says, ah, I don't know, I don't know, I'm not buying this. Well, along with the cynical guy, you've got the delusional one, right? The one that says, well, all things are good. You know, you know it actually is a good thing that that, that happened to, you know, the Alzheimer's uh, uh, patient. You know, it, it actually is a good thing that that person is, is wasting away with cancer. I mean, look at how it brought the family together. And so therefore, it was a good thing, right? Look, look, look at the person who, you know, the, the wife whose, whose husband is, 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 uh, is leaving her and everything. But, you know, she learned resilience in that. So, you know, it was actually good that that husband left her. And, and you know, maybe it was actually good that the guy lost his job and so on because, well, now he's learning, you know, how to, how to save money and everything. Perhaps he was wasting his money because he always knew he was going to get another paycheck and all that. Now he's learning how to be frugal. So yeah, you know, there was a good, you know, good in all of that. It, it was good, and it did work together for good, because everything is good. And you just kind of hear that person, and you just go, uh, oh, right? I, I just, I'm not buying it. So one person is saying, well, all things aren't good, and therefore they can't work together for good. One person says, all things work together for good, because ultimately everything is good. And you also have the gullible person, the gullible person that says, all things will work together for my good because I just happen to avoid all the bad things, right? 
Bad, bad things do happen in this world, but God so works so that nothing bad ever happens to me. I call this the, uh, the, the Christian entertainment complex uh, <laughs> mindset. You, you, you see this, right? You listen to uh, uh, kind of pop Christian radio, and, and it's just, you know, everything is going to work out right, you know, and all that kind of thing. And, and, and you watch the movies, and it's just, you know, this person, you know, everything is great. He was in this class, and, and he had some unbelieving professor or whatever, and he said, well, that's okay, because I don't believe in evolution. I believe in the God of the Bible. And wouldn't you know, he's the one that, you know, nothing ever happens separate. He actually got an A in that class and everything. Never do you see the story of the person who got into class and is berated by the professor and so on, which, by the way, doesn't actually happen all that commonly, but for, uh, that's for another conversation. But, but, but you see the person that does all of that, and, and, and what happens? You know, well, because that person wrote a paper on, you know, 17 reasons for the existence of God or whatever, they got an F. The end, roll the credits, right? Well, no, that's, we, don't, we don't like that kind of entertainment. That's not entertaining. That's actually depressing. <laughs> so, so what do we do? You know, we, we have the movie where everything works out for the person, and, and it always ends with a happy ending. The marriage is saved. The, the, the person actually gets healed from the disease and all of these different things. And that gives us the mindset, the gullible mindset, that nothing bad ever happens to us. Bad things happen. They just don't happen to us. And that's why all things work together for our good. I was talking to a professor over at the seminary. Uh, and and he is in the counseling department. He he, he works with um, uh, with counseling, and he has several uh, folks that are there. And he said, "Ronjour, there's a big big thing that's going on right now." He said, "There are a lot of people that I meet in my office." He said, uh, "Several of them, uh, are, or most of them, are believers." He said, "Several of them are even students who are walking away from the faith." Wait, what? What's going on? What, what, what? He said, my observation is this. For most of them, most of them, not all, most of them, they grew up in a church that basically, we could just call them gullible Baptist church. Okay? And in gullible Baptist church, they hear, here are 10 steps to a happy marriage. Here are six steps to, you know, to having a successful uh, job. Here are five steps to effective witnessing and evangelism and all that. And they just took it and wrote it down and everything. And I said, well, if I just do these things, follow this checklist and everything, then everything is going to work out fine. And then they grew up and they graduated. And now they're on their own in college or going even beyond college and seminary. Now they're married. Now they have kids. Now they've got jobs and all of that. And they're realizing life doesn't exactly work like that. You could do the whole checklist and you can still lose your job. You can do all of the things that you need to do in the nine months of pregnancy and your baby may still have some type of degenerative disease. You can, you can do all of the things to raise your kids in a godly way and they can still turn away from you and turn away from the faith. You can do all of these things and it not work out. So the cynical guy, the delusional guy, the gullible guy, they read these verses and they go, all things 
Here's one thing they, 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 uh, uh, they, they get, and it's, it's kind of a struggle that they get that I think you may feel as you read this verse, which is why you go, uh, I don't know if I want to say all things. And the struggle that all of them agree on, except for maybe the delusional guy, <laughs> is that bad things happen. And if bad things happen, how can they work out for my good? The cynical guy says they can't. <laughs> the delusional guy, oddly enough, also believes that they can't. And so therefore, everything must be good. The, the gullible person says they can't, which is why they've got to be over here and not be in my life if all things are going to work together for my good. Do you see what's going on here? And so they, they struggle to say with all the emphasis, all things work together for my good. And yet when I read this verse, I see the Apostle Paul. And when Paul says all things, he means all things. <laughs> he, he means all things, not just all good things work together for my good, but all things work together for my good. The cancer will work together for my good. Not because it's good, but because all things work together for my good. You see? Uh, the the, the, the um, husband leaving you for another, another, why, uh, uh, another woman and so on, that, that will work out for my good. Not because leaving for another woman is good, but because somehow God works that together for good. You see, it's not that every little situation is good. It's that the end result of every situation will be good for you. It will be for your good, and it will be for his glory. And we say, how in the world does that work out? And that's what Paul is trying to explain here. Now, let me give some justification for why I say this even includes the bad thing. Because this is where Paul is going in the rest of the chapter. Look, look at chapter 8, go look here again, and, and look at what he says when he gets to verse 34. He says, who is to condemn? Who can condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now listen to what he says. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Newsflash. All of those things are bad. And Paul does not say... No, none of those things can separate us from the love of, uh, of God, which is in Christ Jesus, because none of those things will happen to you. That's not what he says. Look at the next verse. As it is written, and he quotes Psalm 44 here, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That is not the experience of people who are out there, people who are not believers. He's talking about the present day experience of believers. All of us are 
being killed. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So that list in verse 35 is not a list of for people who are not believers. It's a list of experiences of believers. And then he goes on to say, look, in verse 37, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I can't get into that. That's another sermon. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see what he's saying here? So Paul is looking right at the hardships of life, the the suffering, the persecution, the the torture, the oppression, the, the, the health issues, the demonic issues, and all of these things that could potentially go on in our lives that would derail anybody. He says it's not going to derail you because God loves you and he will not let you go. You see what's going on? So when he says all things, <laughs> he's not talking about all good things. He's saying everything. Everything in your past, everything in your present, everything that keeps you up at night, every reason for you to be going to the doctor, every reason for you to have a counselor, every reason for you to struggle in this life, all of it, total, will work together for your good. Now we hear that and we go... Okay, Paul, you're going to have to explain yourself, right? How does this work out? Why do you say that, Paul? Well, before we get into the why, which is beyond words, we first have to recognize he's not talking about everyone, okay? He's not talking about everyone. All things do not work together for the good of everyone, And I know, that's so un-American, right? Because if it's going to work for one, it's going to work for everybody. We used to have this thing um, when the kids were a little bit younger. Um, because I was trying to raise them as, as, as good Calvinists. And, um, and, and my wife was uh, parenting. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> so there would be times where I would give a good gift to one of the children. And, and Annie would go, well, are you, do you have enough for everybody else? And I would say, no, because I wanted to show kindness to this child, you know, which is Loki, my favorite, you know. And so I just, you know, <laughs> I'm playing. That's not true. But, <laughs> but, 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 you know, I said, I, I want to I give it. Well, if you're going to give one to one, you're going to have to give one to everybody. That's so not biblical. But anyways. Um, it's like that AT&T commercial. You've seen an AT&T commercial where they got the lollipops and, and, and they give the one to the, to, the, to the kid and he says, okay, you get a lollipop and then the other one uh, gets the bigger lollipop and the little girl goes, that's not fair. And, and, and they're trying to say, this is AT&T where everybody gets the same and all of that. And I'm going, it's not fair. It doesn't have to be fair, right? Who said everybody had to get the same? Who said everybody had to get everything? No, no. It doesn't have to be that way. We're going to get into Romans 9. When we get into Romans 9, Paul's going to deep dive into that. Okay? But, but God's prerogative, he has the prerogative to give to whomever what he wants to give to them. 
God is God. And God can give you know, his favor on some because he's God. That's who he is. And so he says here, all things work together for good. What I see in verse 8 is a clarifying of who gets the good. And notice he says that it is for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose, which I have to read by implication. If you don't love God and you're not called according to his purpose, all things will not work together for your good. The only way that it can work together for your good is if you are in this group. And so my first point here is that all things work together for the good of God's people. God makes all things work together for the good of God's people. Notice he says here, for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Let's look at the first one. For those who love God. All things work together for the good of those who love God. If you've been tracking with Romans, it seems kind of weird. Because this is the first time in the letter of the Romans that he mentions loving God. Um, and when any other time he mentions love, it's God loving us. And normally when he talks about our response to God, he uses faith language. Except for here. Why does he say those who trust God? Why didn't he say that? Those who believe God. Why does he say those who love God? Why does he say that? And, and, I, and I've been thinking about this and just mulling this over. Why, why the change in language? What, what are you doing, Paul? And it dawned on me, this is in Romans 8. And in Romans 8, he talks earlier about what God has done for us and what he's doing for us. Look, look a little bit earlier. Uh, go over to uh, verse 14. Look at verse 14. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So notice, when we uh, are, are, are saved, when, when we have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been brought into a relationship with our Lord. God is not just our God anymore. God is our Father. We are not just his creation. We are his children adopted into the family. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so how do we know that? What, what, is, what is the expression, kind of the tangible evidence, if you will, that we are children of God? Well, he says earlier in the chapter that we cry out, Abba, Father, and here he says we love him. See what's going on? We love him. I trust ATM machines, right? I drive over to the ATM machine, I put in my debit card, I punch in my little passcode, I press the withdrawal button, 
and, and, I, and I take out, you know, the, or I press whatever money value, 20 bucks or whatever, and, and I trust that at the end of that experience, $20 will shoot out. I trust my ATM machine. Never once in my life have I said, I love my ATM machine, right? I trust it. I, I have all the confidence in the world most of the time that when I press a button, money's going to come out, right? Sometimes it's miraculous, but, <laughs> but, but I trust that money is going to come out of that ATM machine. But I don't go to the ATM machine going, oh, great, ATM machine, how you have provided for all of my needs every day. Whom do I have in all of the earth but you, oh, ATM machine, or anything like that? I, I can trust the ATM machine without loving the ATM machine. You see what I'm saying here? It is the work of God that we not only trust in him, but that we love him. Love is the overflow of the Spirit's work in us that says, you are more than just a celestial ATM machine for me, God. You are the one who has saved me. You're the one who has brought me into your family. You are the one that I look to as my father, and I pour out my affections on you. That is the work of God. And for those who love him, for those who have the adopted childlike love overflowing for our God and saying, you are my God and I am yours and yours forever, he says all things work together for us. Because that love is the overflow of what God has done in bringing us into his family. Not only that, but he says you are the called, you are called according to his purpose. And again, I think we've got to think about this within the, the overarching understanding of our adoption. We were talking about this the other day uh, with our kids, that you could have an entire room, like let's say even this room, there's several, there, 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 you know, a lot of people here, uh, and, and, and you could be in this room, and let's say when the service is all over, we all get up and we all start going, and everybody's talking to everybody, hey brother, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Hey sister, how you doing? Hey girl. And we have all this stuff going on. And, 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 as, and, and in the midst of all of that, of course, we know that our kids are going to be somewhere, <laughs> right? And, and they know, whether it's in a room like this or whether we're at the mall or, or on campus or whatever, all they have to hear is locks. And it's interesting that four out of the entire room, four go whoop and turn their heads. See? Now, I called, and when I called, everybody heard, but some heard differently than the others. You see what's going on? When God calls us, God brings out his voice as, as we hear in Matthew 11, come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you will have rest for your souls. And everybody hears this. Sunday after Sunday, we're proclaiming the good news of the gospel, and everyone is hearing week in and week out and week in and week out. But there's something that happens when we call people to turn from their sin and to trust wholeheartedly in Christ, that some people turn their heads and some people People don't. And the ones that turn their heads turn their heads, the scripture says, because God was calling them. 
The distinction that I'm making here is between what we call a general call and what we call an effectual call. There's this call when I come and I preach the gospel or when you go out and you share the gospel with your neighbors or your coworkers or your kids and so on, and, and you go and you tell them the gospel, some people's heads turn and it's, they turn because when God was calling, he was calling them. We go, I, I don't totally understand that. Well, neither do I. <laughs> what, what do you think? I know what I'm talking about. Um, no, I mean, this is, this is over our heads. How does this work? I don't know. But what I know is that this is what God said. And so for those who heard his call and came to him and whose hearts opened up in love and affection for him as their father and, and they as his children, he says, God will work all things together for your Some of you that are here today, you say, I, I, I'm still not getting it. I, I do love him. And I do you know, believe that he has called me into his family. I do believe that I am a child of God. I do trust in Christ as the one who died on the cross for my sins and rose from, my, uh, rose from the dead for my salvation. I get it all. I just don't know why this is happening. I just don't know why I'm going through this. I don't see the good. So how does this how 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 can you say this, Paul? Why are you saying this? And I think that's what 29 and 30 are telling us. Not only do all things work together for the good of God's people, but he's going to say in verses 29 and 30 that they work together because of God's good plan. God's got a plan. <laughs> now, now, before we get into the plan, I, I do have to say some things because there's some folks that hear this and they think that in order for God to have a plan, that that means by definition that, that there is no free will. So in order for God to work, we don't. And this is a debate that's been going on for millennia. I mean, and I'm not joking. This has been thousands of years of Christians going, it's about God. God is the one that does the work. And you have these folks over here, no, we're the ones who do the work. It's about God's sovereignty. It's about our free will. And, and it's just been going on and on and on. And I, I go onto campus and, and I'll have, you know, like a Q&A and I'll say, let's, let's do some Q&A. Anybody have any questions? And I just sit here going, any moment now, here it comes. And somebody will say, hey, so could you help explain to me how God's sovereignty and free will work together? And my typical answer is, no, next question. Um, because, <laughs> because it's well, everybody asks the same question, and they think that they're being unique. Like they just walked onto campus, and they're like, oh, I got something that's going to stump the prof. No one's ever asked this question before. Everyone has asked this question before. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's not a, 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 a new thing. It's been around for centuries that people have been debating this. But let me say this here. Paul is not talking here about free will. Why? Because that's not his point. In other places, he will say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. In other places, he will say, repent. In other places, he'll say, turn from your sin and turn to the Lord. In other places, he will say, like in chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But here's the thing. At this moment, 
in my suffering, what I need to hear is not what I need to do. What I need to hear is what God is doing in the suffering. And so he's front-loading here the sovereignty of God to say, hey, I want you to see in the suffering, God is at work. He never stopped. God did not take a break. God has no vacation hours or anything like that. God is not on hold. God is not over here, you know, uh, uh, looking at you going, man, I didn't see that coming. No, God is the one in charge of all things, working all things together. And all that you are going through in your life is a part of his good and sovereign plan. So what does that look like? Well, look what he says in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And here we go with these big words. What do we mean? Well, by foreknew, he doesn't just mean that God had a factual knowledge of the things that were going to go on in your life, okay? As if God is aloof over here looking at everything that's going to happen apart from his hand, apart from his will or anything. Everybody's just kind of moving along like clockwork, doing their thing, and God sees all of that, and God goes, hmm, on the basis of how you are going to work with your free choices and all of that, I'm back here looking at all of that, observing all of that, and I put my stamp of approval and say that's how it's going to go. That's not what he means by this. You see, what's going on here is, one, that is a result of something that we call deism, this idea that God created the world and then he just kind of leaves it to do its own thing. That's not the way the Bible talks about God and his working with creation. Also, it's an enlightenment type of understanding of knowledge that says knowledge is just up here in our heads. It's only factual type things. And as long as we understand things factually, we know stuff, which is, again, not the way the Bible talks about knowledge. In Genesis chapter 4, it says that Adam knew Eve and she conceived. I've read the dictionary before. And I've learned definitions, and I've read the encyclopedia before, and I've gotten many uh, facts about life and things like that, but none of them have gotten Annie pregnant. Factual knowledge does not do that. In order for Adam to know Eve and she conceived, we're not talking about factual knowledge, we're talking about relational knowledge. There's an element to knowledge that we don't understand, and that uh, element that is so foreign to us in our culture is this idea of relational knowledge. God foreknew us. In other words, God already in his heart had love and affections for us as his people. It is not out uh, out of bounds to say that God had us on his mind from all of eternity. That does not magnify our egos, it magnifies his love. That he would have us on his mind in all of eternity. Notice he foreknew us, and those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He also predetermined our destiny. What would that destiny be? Verse 29, that we would be conformed to the image of his son. God, from all of eternity, made up in his mind that you and I would be like Jesus. He would make it so. Hmm. Before God hung a star in the sky, God said, I'm going to make sure that Gladman and Hunter and Robin (laughs) and Joanna and Annie and Heather I'm going to make sure 
that they are like Jesus. I'm going to make up in my mind that when all of this is done, when I'm done making the world, the heavens and the earth, and when I'm done unrolling history, at the end of the day, there will be a people that will look like my son. And they will be like him forever. Why will all things work together for my good? Can you think of anything better than this? No longer plagued with sin. No longer stained with my wickedness. No longer dealing with the curse of death in my body and in my culture and in my community. Never again. We will be like Jesus in the end. How good can it get? You will be conformed to the image of his son. Why? In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Notice we're still talking adoption. God already made up in his mind eons ago that he was going to gather for himself a family of children. And these children would look like the one who has been his son from all eternity. And he is going to make us like him so that he would be the firstborn and we would be his brothers and sisters. Oh, we could stop there, but Paul doesn't. He goes on and says, and those that he predestined, verse 30, he also called. So note, remember what he said about those called according to his purpose? Who did he call? And they turned their heads. When he called and these people turned their heads, realize that the work did not begin the day that you heard the gospel. That's not when this began. God's pursuing you did not begin on the day that you came forward and walked down the aisle or on the day that you prayed a prayer or on the day that you signed a card or on the day that you were baptized and so on. That's not when this all began. It began eons ago in eternity past. And God had already been working this before he created the world. He said, there's going to come a day in 1999, or there's going to come a day in 2017, or there's going to come a day, and even maybe today, February 13th, 2022, when all of that I've been doing from all of eternity will finally reach the point where this person will open their eyes and they will see the Lord Jesus as he is and they will trust in him. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, look, he justified all the righteousness of Christ. He already determined that that righteousness would be theirs. He had been working that all the time so that when he called them and they said, yes, Lord, I am yours and you are mine. I trust in Jesus as my savior. The righteousness would already be applied. It's been sitting there waiting for all of this time for that moment in God's plan where you would hear the gospel. And now that you've heard the gospel, he says, boom, there's my righteousness. The righteousness of my son applied to you instantly just like that and those whom he justified he also glorified now this one we're gonna have to stop and think for a little bit okay 
Because when I hear glory and glorification and so on, I don't think about right now. I think about someday way off in the future, right? I, I, I'll be honest with you. When I wake up in the morning, I don't feel glorified, right? I wake up in the morning and I go, Ugh right? <laughs> and that's not the sound of glory. And, and, and I'm sure if I leaned and went, you know, over to my bride, it would not be the smell of glory either. You know, that, that's not glory, you know, for, for all of that. You know, it's, it, but, but somehow in Paul's mind and in the reality of God's plan, he could say glorified in the past tense. So you say, whoa, 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 hold on. How did he glorify us? How are we glorified? How are we glorified past tense? Well, Paul will say in 2 Corinthians that we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. In other words, this is a glory process. We are on a glory road, if you will. God is at the work of transforming us and changing us in such a way that more and more and more the glories of his son are radiating through our pores, if you will, until the day when once and for all it will be seen for everybody to, to behold. We will, we will share in the glories of our dear Savior. We will, like mirrors, radiate his glory and reflect his glory for all to see. People will look at us and they will say, you really do look just like Jesus. That day is coming. So what's going on here? So when I'm in the hospital or when I'm you know, uh, 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 there with my little boy and I'm, and I'm wondering why in the world a couple weeks ago did he turn his knee and so on and why is he going through all this pain and I'm looking at the tears and I'm seeing the tear stains on my bride's shirt and I'm feeling them cry on my shoulder as well and when I'm telling him you know, and helping him and lifting him even and walking him over there, in my mind I'm going somehow, some way, this is a part of my father's plan to conform my little boy boy into the image of Christ. What, what, what does that look like? Well, let me tell you what that looks like. You see, our Savior did not come into this world so that all things would be good for him. No, that's not why he came. He did not come so that only good things would happen to him. That's not how my Savior drew up this plan. He came into this world and said, there are going to be many good things that will happen, and I will do many good things in this world, but I am here to deal with sin and suffering once and for all, and I'm going to take it all the way to the curse of death, and I'm going to put it all on my shoulders, and I'm going to walk this road of suffering with you because this road of suffering is the glory road. It is the road that will lead once and for all to the end of sin and the end of suffering and the end of death once and for all and there will only be glory forever. So all things work together for our good even in the suffering because in the suffering you realize you are walking the path that our Savior walked before us and there he sits at the right hand of the throne of God with all glory and all power and all dominion and all blessing and he says I want you to walk this road with me and we walk through that road with glory and we walk through the road with confidence knowing that our God is not going to leave us but he's going to work it all for our good oh my goodness church do you know how much he loves you do you get it (laughs) do you get his love 
that he would go through the suffering and he would even take you through the suffering. Why? Because the glory that is to come will far exceed all that the suffering will give us in this lifetime. Folks, this is the best news that you can hear. Our great God will work all things together for our good because from eternity past, all the way into eternity future, he has made up his mind that you will be his and you will be just like Jesus in the end. So, cynical, delusional, gullible, if you're here today, know that this news is better than you can comprehend. <laughs> our God is so much bigger than all the bad things that could ever happen in our lives. And in fact, he is so sovereign that he can take even the bad things and turn them for our good. Turn to him. Trust him. And know in the pain that it is not coming from the hand of an abusive dad. It is not coming from the hand of some uh, a malcontent or someone who is just vindictive and wants the worst for you. No, it is coming from the hand of a good and compassionate God who took his son down this road too and led him all the way to glory. And he has made up in his mind that he's going to take you down that path too. It can only lead to glory because he can only love you. Oh, let's pray. Oh, Father, the hope that we have in this passage. Oh, this is such good news. And I pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that this news would be good news to those who are going through it right now. Lord, you have made up your mind. You made up your mind before yesterday. You made up your mind before eternity. That we would be with you as sons and daughters adopted into your family. And that at the end of days, we will be conformed into the image of Christ. Big brother Jesus standing as the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Mm. Father, I pray that this would be our hope in suffering. Lord, this world is exhausting. May we keep running, knowing what is waiting for us, knowing who is waiting for us at the end of days. Right now, I know there are some of you who are going through it right now, and I pray, and I ask you even now to join in prayer. Say, God, drive this deep into my heart and my soul. Lord, guard them from the evil one. He doesn't want them to see. He wants them to see the suffering as a dead-end road rather than the road that leads to glory. Help them to see Open their eyes, please, and guard them from the schemes of the devil. And there are some who are here that don't believe in Jesus. Please trust him. Know what it means to be loved by God in this way. Trust that Jesus, who died on the cross and rose from the dead, is the one who makes all things possible.
only he can turn all things together for our good because he is our greatest good. Trust him. Right now, however the Lord is working in your heart, let's respond to all that he has spoken to us in his word.